Welcome to Lost and Found and Rewound, a podcast that I recently likened to the band Van Halen, <laughs> uh, two uh, very skilled and uh, talented brothers along with uh, one sort of dumb loudmouth guy. Sammy Hagar is not that dumb. Wait a minute. Sammy, whoa, whoa, whoa. Sammy Hagar is you're not a member of Van Halen. You're saying you're, you're the David Lee Roth. Yes. Oh, okay. Huh. Interesting. Sammy Hagar was not in Van Halen. I think of you more of a, a Sammy guy. <laughs> wow. You couldn't have insulted me more. I know. I'm so sorry. we'll move on. One housekeeping item I wanted to, to mention before we get, in, get on with our current subject is that IMDb this week came out with the top five most scary daylight scenes in cinema. Mm. And they listed the ceremony scene from Wicker Man, from the Wicker Man uh. in that top five list, obviously in reference to the recent release of the film Midsummer. Although, of course, when this podcast comes out, it will have been 10 years since the release of Midsummer. But anyway, I am Chris Lost. Uh, I'm Found Jim. <laughs> And I'm Rick Rewound. I've been practicing that. You did well. I just, when I'm looking at myself in the mirror in the morning, I say, Rick Rewound, Rick <laughs> Rewound, Rick Rewound. Is that a, like a pep talk? You're like, you it's, are Rick Rewound. <laughs> it's just more trying to work around my odd inability to say the word rewound, which, you know, could be a very quick lead into the, the Eric Roberts method of speaking, <laughs> which is a delivery of the English language, which I always find fascinating this film not to jump on the synopsis but was acted by my uncle bob and matthew mcconaughey <laughs> so just picture my uncle bob and matthew mcconaughey stuck on a train that's basically this film did we say what the movie was <laughs> jim why, why don't we tell everybody what the what the film uh, is oh today? we just watched runaway train from 1985 with john voigt and uh eric roberts and rebecca de mornay and you know, it starts out as, you know, a typical kind of prison film. They break out. They get on a train. It's a runaway train. It turns out Rebecca de Mornay is on it. There's a psycho prison warden who wants to kill John Voight, you know, is chasing after them. And that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> Much less complicated than Wicker Man. It was a lot less complicated. Nice job, Jim. <laughs> No, there's I, much, much more than that. I have an alternative synopsis. Uh, it was released in June of 1993 as the fourth single from their 1992 album, Grave Dancers Union, and became a success around the world in mid-1993. Ah. As the fourth single, what were the, full, what were the three previous singles to mm. Grave Dancers Union? I don't know. That's so, yeah, we, can, we could do a whole podcast about Soul Asylum and... Runaway Train, the record, and how that was basically the death of Soul Asylum as we knew it. I Run, mean, that's essentially the Sammy Hagar of Soul Asylum. <laughs> By the way, I you know I saw the first appearance of Sammy Hagar with Van Halen. It was at uh, Farm Aid in wow. uh, Champagne. Yeah, you were there. I was there. Wow. I've was that around this time? Was that 1985? <laughs> that yeah. was later. Well, yeah, around the time uh, Runaway right. Train. So. This, the Sammy Hagar talk is actually pretty appropriate because that, that was, yeah, when Sammy joined. I've seen... Oh, no. It's got to have been... It would have... Yeah, 1985, right? Would have been the time Sammy joined the band. But that sounds close, yeah. Because Now 19... I'm starting to question that because I thought they had a record called 1984. They did. Oh, and that was with David Lee Roth. Yep. I don't really... I'm not really that into Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should be. The I've Sammy stuff I kind of like. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm proud to say that. Why do you say that? I guess that reverses the insult. I, the, uh, all I know is I've seen Van Halen twice in my life, both times well after 1984, and both times were with David Lee Roth. Wow. So, and that takes effort. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Yeah, I know. Anyway, enough about Soul Asylum. Well, you know, the thing is, I don't mean to tangent too much, but I don't know about you, Chris, but at least Jim and I were very devoted Soul Asylum fans. They were oh, yeah. an amazing band. And for people who only know Soul Asylum as the band that did Runaway Train, that's upsetting. That's well after I fell off the yeah. Soul Asylum train. <laughs> I was huge, a huge fan of Soul Asylum, although yeah. I've now gotten so old and cynical about Soul Asylum that I feel like their only full album was made to be broken. Is that fair or unfair? Okay, we're way off yeah. because we can't do a Soul Asylum <laughs> podcast. Can you just answer that one question? Is there a good Soul Asylum, a full, full no album. filler Soul Asylum album after Made to Be Broken? I like Hang Time. It's a great album. Yeah. I like While You Were Out. Yeah. Great album. The horse you rode in on, that was when it was like, uh-oh, what's going on? And then Grave Dancers Union is the classic where uh, who's the producer? Michael Beinhorn fires the drummer. That was his his production trick was basically, I'm going to make this a hit band. First thing I do is fire the drummer. I suspect Albini draws reference to Soul Asylum in his diatribe he wrote. I forget what it was, but he wrote, wrote something about you sign to a major label and you get like a guy who's in David Letterman's band to produce your album. I think that's like referencing And the Horse You Rode In On. It's it's possible because that the drummer from Letterman's band produced that record. Mm-hmm. We've not gone on a soul song tangent. <laughs> Sorry, I brought it up. Sorry, we brought it up. By the way, just so people can decode the episode, every time Rick says "we," it's a very passive aggressive <laughs> statement. The royal so, "we." Go ahead, yeah, Jim. What okay, do you got well, for us? I don't know. Okay, Runaway Train, 1985, directed by Andre. Konchalovsky, a Russian, Russian who's very interesting because he, I didn't realize he went to film school with Andrei Tarkovsky and he co-wrote Andrei Rublev. Hmm? Did you ever see Andrei Rublev? Did he really? I love that Tarkovsky movie. movie. Yeah. The three and a half hour long movie. I watched it on the treadmill over the course of three months. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Fantastic. He, Andrei Konchalovsky co-wrote that in, you know. Now correct me if I'm wrong though, but everyone who was a filmmaker in the Soviet Union in the seventies worked together, right? Probably. They, yeah, <laughs> this is they probably were, a small group of people. Yeah. All four of them. Yeah. Well, six, this is the sixties. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. He also did Solaris. Right. That's Tarkovsky. Yeah. Right. Tarkovsky. Sorry. Right. But, oh, what else? Andre Konchalovsky, who did Runaway Train, did, uh, also did Tango and Cash. Yeah. Which I did not see, but. That was my favorite. So I have to talk about that. It's just, I, I've seen that movie. It's, it's really bad. It's Sylvester mm-hmm. Stallone and Kurt Russell. Right. And the best review is Roger Ebert had a review. I remember him just hating it because he really liked Runaway Train. And so Tango yeah. and Cash comes out and he says, this movie you could start watching at any point and it would not make a difference. Is, is he, he said the movie has no, there's no need to watch it linearly. You could just basically walk into the room and start watching Tango and Cash and, and the experience would be exactly the same. I, that was my, one of my favorite movie reviews. It was a great pan. Which one is the dog, Tango or Cash? <laughs> 
that's the thing is everyone assumes that Tango and Cash is is a dog cop dog movie, but it's it's not. So yes. yeah, you're thinking of Turner and Hooch or well, that's what's even weirder is that he also directed the movie with Whoopi Goldberg and Jim Belushi, right? Uh, okay. What was that yeah. called? Homer and Homer and Eddie. And so Jim Belushi was in K-9, which was a cop dog movie. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think think Homer and Eddie is the second best Jim Belushi movie. He's in he's in Thief. I forget. Right. I always forget that Jim Belushi oh, wow. was in Thief. He yeah. gets killed, right? He gets killed wow. in Thief. I was one step ahead of you, Jim. I had the I was pulled up the Tango and Cash soundtrack hoping to find a Hagar era Van Halen song on it, but I could not. I did find a song called Cash's Gun slash Chinese Toilet, which could, you know, could maybe he reused the the toilet scene from Runaway Train where a man is peeing into a toilet and then his face is shoved into the toilet. <laughs> Then followed by the line, wipe that piss off your face. But anyway, they escape from prison as well. So there's some parallels between Tango and Cash and Runaway Train. It's probably how he got the gig directing. Yeah. And it was where Sylvester Stallone played an intelligent person and Kurt Russell Russell played a dumb person. Okay. Yeah. He had like glasses. Sylvester Stallone had glasses, right? That's what made him smart. Right. Exactly. No offense, Jim. The only guy without glasses on the podcast. (laughs) But Andre Konchalovsky... Before, after, back to the back film. To, <laughs> after, after he directed Runaway Train, which I did not see in the theater in 1985, but I did see the movie made after called Shy People. I you saw, saw that, that oh. in the theater. Who's in that? Barbara Hershey and uh, Martha Plimpton. Wow. But that and, must be one of Martha Plimpton's earliest movies, right? Yeah, I think so. Hmm. And actually, I think uh, Edward Bunker, I think, is in that too. Who's, I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, but Edward Bunker worked on the screenplay for this movie, Runaway Train, who's the prisoner, was a ex-con who's in uh, Mr. Blue and Reservoir Dogs. And he wrote, but before that, he wrote another movie, uh, Straight Time. Yeah. Did you ever see Straight Time with Dustin Hoffman? No. But That's is Mr. Blue the one that doesn't tip? N- no, no, that's, that's Steve, Steve Buscemi. Buscemi. He's yeah. the guy, the older guy oh. with the mustache. He kind of oh, is okay. sitting there. But Straight Time, that's the one. Is that who directed Straight Time? Is that the one that's, where Dustin Hoffman wound up directing it? Yeah, he yeah. wanted to, but then he stopped. He it's stopped. The Ulu, Ulu. Oh, okay. The guy who directed The, the Swedish, Gambler, Swedish, right? Swedish. Is that the guy who directed The Gambler? Ulu Gro- is Gross. Gross part, yeah. The Kenny Rogers TV special, The no. Gambler? Oh, Have you ever seen The Gambler with James Caan? No. I better oh, write that down. Yeah, you better write that one down too. What was the other one? That one was a serious lapse. You saw the remake and you didn't see the original and I can't remember what it was. I almost walked out. <laughs> oh, it was the, the Pelham. Taking a oh. Pelham one, two, three. Right. Yeah, so there are all sorts of things. I Yeah, we can continue. I, I, I've got notes about There's things. all sorts of movies that we should see. We should <laughs> see. We should really see. We uh, <laughs> might not have seen enough of... The really cool movies. <laughs> Look, I saw Tango and Cash. Oh, wait a minute. I'm on the wrong side of that argument. This was Danny Trejo's first film. Yeah. Which, that's what, it was Edward Bunker who wrote the screenplay. Well, one of the revisions. Akira Kurosawa wrote the original screenplay of this movie, and uh, Edward Bunker reworked it. And all the prison stuff is definitely Edward Bunker, because he was a real convict. And that's what Straight Time is all about, a convict getting out of prison, trying to go straight. And uh, Danny Trejo, they knew each other in prison. And Danny Trejo was hired as a boxing consultant to train Eric Roberts for Runaway Train at the boxing scenes. And then Edward Bunker was on set and recognized him from prison. And I was like, oh, you know, and they, they 
met up and was like, oh yeah. And then the director saw him boxing, training Eric Roberts and was like, oh, let's put you in the movie. So he just got, he was fighting Eric Roberts in the movie. That was his first movie or that's when he got into films. And I've had a bit of boxing training in my life and Eric Roberts' technique was awful in this film. <laughs> I mean, you're supposed to guard your head, guard your buttons. You know, you're supposed to put your fists up by your temples. Yeah. How does he compare to Mickey Rourke's technique? I don't know. Jim, are we, I, we, we saw it, right? It was the two of us saw the Pope of Greenwich Village, right? It's oh, great. yeah, yeah. Okay. We Is have that, to talk about that at some point. But we have already done so many tangents. Is but that they took my thumbs? They took my thumbs. Yes. It's a great movie. <laughs> I love the Pope of Greenwich Village. I've just seen the remake of it, though, with uh, Brad Pitt. I remember Snatch. that was one of the first instances, again, where I took either Roger Ebert or Gene Siskel's word at 100% that this was going to be a good movie. And I was like, okay, this is not a good movie. You didn't like Pope of Greenwich Village? I absolutely hated that movie. Wow. Wow. It, but it was Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts is definitely an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. And not to bring them up again. Well, to bring them up again, the Little Brothers were the ones who introduced me to Pope of Greenwich Village. They brought mm-hmm. it over. And they, they enjoyed more the atmosphere of the film than the, the yeah. film itself. Yeah. I was trying to remember when I first saw Runaway Train, and it was, I think, Roger Ebert mentioning it. Like I said, I didn't see this in the theater, but I probably in the early 90s, I remember some kind of, like he must have revisited it or something i swear i have this connection with roger ebert saying oh this that was a good movie and somehow he must have been talking about movies that have been forgotten yeah it's it's strange because yeah i i I definitely did not see it in the theater either but maybe just on vhs yeah i think we rented it 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 was another band movie well definitely a band movie it's just whether or not we watched it before then yeah i mean i remember i think i remember bringing it for some reason i'd heard about i was like oh oh we should rent this at a, after a band practice. But Chris, you were saying you saw this in the I theater. saw this film for a dollar at the LaGrange Theater. Wow. Yeah. We, was the LaGrange I'm, Theater in pieces yet, or was it one big room? I can't remember. I mean, it would have been 1985 or six. So probably two theaters then? Yeah, it didn't have probably two. It didn't yeah. have like that. Now it's like four, four or, or six. Yeah, yeah something like that. No, it would cost $9 million to make, and it was $7.6 million at the box office in total to date. And this has always been my thought that this film has the record for killing the most careers, I would say. I feel like it's, it's the marker of when John Voight's career was officially over. It was over for Eric Roberts and Rebecca De Mornay, even though what was the, what's the movie that Rebecca De Mornay was in later that where she, it's like a horror movie? Oh, The Hand That the Rocks, hand that rocks the, the Cradle. Right. Yeah. yeah, so to me, this, this movie is like where you have, all, you have these three big stars, but it's like... But it was critically acclaimed, and they, they, yeah, they were nominated for Oscars and things. Yeah, best actor and best supporting actor, and best editing. Yeah, but I still true. don't buy it as as. It, but the thing yeah, is, nothing, is, it was a flop. Yeah, nothing, nobody watched. Nobody saw the movie. Yeah, yeah. It's it's confusing how how much. Well, Akira Kurosawa he based the screenplay on this true story from Life magazine. There's no convicts in the true story. There was four locomotives, just like in the movie that broke away and there was one guy who was not an engineer, a maintenance guy and was stuck on the train and managed to stop it. But that's true story. He was good with trains. Have you guys seen high and low? I I think it's been a long time. It's a good train scene in that movie. I I don't remember. I had not seen a a Kurosawa film that involved modern technology (laughs) until I saw high and low. Most of them were just samurai films. 
but he was it was a good film and involved the train and a lot of sort of they were trying to figure out who kidnapped this little boy and so it's a it's like a mystery it's a really good movie so he came on to trains later in his career (laughs) and produced by canon films did you want to mention a golan and globus extravaganza yeah like they made a few good movies like i remember seeing you know like barfly was like that seemed like it was a pretty good movie and it was like always a shock that it was canon films so they they tried sometimes to make good movies they weren't all of the 76 films that they had listed under canon i've actually seen 19 of them (laughs) two of which i thought were great i love runaway train and barfly and that actually other than runaway train uh, there's only one other film that I could find from Canon that had an Academy Award, and that was the film The Assault, a Dutch film, one best foreign film. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of integrity in Canon. But so then, like Death Wish 4, nothing? No Academy Awards for that film. Yeah. But then I went down the Barfly rabbit hole and found out that Charles Bukowski was actually in three movies in his lifetime. Uh, only one of them a canon film. The, <laughs> he was a patron in Barfly. He was known as the author in the film The Killers. And when I looked it up, it just looked like a garbage film. And then he was the wet t-shirt contest water boy in the film Supervan. Wow, Supervan, man. <laughs> so The I Killers, what kill, which The Killers? Not the uh, one with Ronald Reagan. Oh. No, I can't. I, I couldn't, no. I tried to find. Or there are two, right? There, there's the the Ronald Reagan one was the remake, right? The Killers so it wasn't that. I can't remember. There's wasn't like a the, film noir. Though, though, not those films, right? Because I, I have a Criterion box set, right? Of, those. of the two it's, of them, it's right? None it's none of those. Films. He's not in either no. of those. There's no. a great Joe Frank. Have you ever heard the Joe Frank episode where it's basically him talking about Bukowski and just like hating on him, but you never know. He never says who he is, but it's obvious that he went to Charles Bukowski's house once and it's just him describing all the hangers on and how awful it is. And it's, it's, it's like a, the exact opposite of all the Bukowski stories, which is that he's, he's just a revered he was and right. yeah, everything. And, and then this is, this is a, uh, Joe Frank just basically poking a hole in it. <laughs> That's one of those things where I like, you know, as a mature human being, I look back and think, ooh, I was not a bright young man to <laughs> admire Charles Bukowski. I've always heard that this is a metaphor for the Cold War, this movie. <laughs> so there's all sorts of, and then and there's a moment where the warden yells, push the button, push the button. And then it's like, win or lose. What does John Voigt say? Win or lose. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy, the guy who designed the system for the trains, watching the space shuttle footage, saying, basically, explaining what the movie is about, which is that he says, with all this technology, why couldn't we stop this? He actually right. just kind of blatantly comes out and says, he corrects himself. His first line is, with all this junk, <laughs> and then he says, what I mean is, with all this technology. <laughs> yeah, I never thought of it that way. You'd think, though, after somebody in the movie themselves would actually state what the film was about, like directly like that, that may be, yeah. I I felt like as I was thinking about it, and then all of a sudden he said that, I'd forgotten that he actually just says that stuff, and then then it's like, oh, okay, yeah, no, that is what this movie is about, because why would he say that in the movie? Why would they not explain it to us? through a character if that's not what they were trying to get at, which also means that, that somebody was not confident that the, the message was going to get across with this. Hell, even with the obvious lines, I didn't get it. So they were right. They were right to put it right there out, out there for us. But so my question is, is John Voight, 
if it's the Cold War, or is it just are they just different sides? So John Voight is like the I think John Voight is Russia, and the warden is the United States. Okay, because there's were to like sides. and there's Nietzsche stuff, right? There's like a Superman kind of like stuff, and then who's Rebecca De Mornay? What is she? She's just like the optimist of some sort, and or does she fit into the the superpowers thing? What is she? Europe? There, no, there were some lines in there that totally made her a hippie, right? I mean, she's like, I just believe they will. Like, she's like, they'll, yeah. they know we're out here and they're going to stop the train. She was the optimist. Right, so I guess that would be, so even in, if it was written in the 60s originally, because I also know Akira Kurosawa, that, what was it, Dreams? What's the, yeah. one of his last ones is all about nuclear, nuclear war, war yeah. right? So it was on his mind, but the mm -hmm. hippie kind of thing, although there was more going on with that in Japan earlier, right? There was more kind of anti-nuke kind of, mm -hmm. that happened a little earlier, like everybody hears about the 60s stuff in the US, but there was definitely a like lot of in, that going on in Japan. Like the UK. Too, Why would yeah. the Japanese be anti-nuclear weapons prior to the 60s? <laughs> Not prior to the 60s. I mean, earlier 60s. So if he wrote this... That was a joke. 19, oh, yeah. Because okay, we dropped sorry. a couple of oh, right, yeah, yeah, Sorry. See, I didn't get that. <laughs> Do you um, want me to get this, the train conductor in <laughs> yeah, here to explain exactly, it? Exactly. To, to explain it. The guy... The guy who designed the whole system. Um, but 1965. What I was thinking is 1965. If he wrote it in 1965, I think that's what it was, right? It was supposed to be sure, then the yeah. original script. It was supposed mm -hmm. to be 65 or something. So it, it sat around for a while. Yeah. But so it could be a metaphor now for global warming, right? Is that you've just got a bunch of people arguing over shit that doesn't really matter. But in the inevitability, the train is still going to derail. And I think that's what it is. It's, it's not specifically the Cold War. Maybe the Russian director skewed it a little that way, but it's probably more just a, a larger discussion about... The apocalypse. Yeah, just, just how we believe we kind of fight as individuals or as humans. We're fighting with each other, and yet they're, the apocalypse is... The train is about to go off the tracks, <laughs> literally. <laughs> the idiom... The train going off the tracks is made literal in this film because the train, they're fighting and the train's about to go off the tracks. Absolutely. And I would say, uh, you know, to that point or to that scene, I'm a big fan of making films for cheap, you know, and doing them rough and cheap. And I loved the idea of, well, instead of having some big dramatic scene where the train actually crashes and they both die, we'll just have John Voight get up on top of it and surf it into the abyss of snow and yeah. never show the train crash. And of course, that saved them a ton of money. You didn't have to make a model or crash a train. Right. Or so here's my thought is they spent all the money on that first crash. You know, the initial crash where they had the two trains yep. going by and, and then it was like they had no money. And then it was like, okay, we'll just have him go off into the distance there, and it's it's going to be good enough. That's what I'm saying, right? I don't know if I shared this on the last podcast. I've shared it with you two before, but my brother-in-law has a saying. We have a saying together. That's not a problem. That's a solution. So every time we come up with a problem, <laughs> we then we have we force ourselves to think of how no, that's actually a good thing. And right. I think that's what happened. They're like, we ran out of train crash budget. Like, that's not a problem. It's a solution. Yeah, and that's what filmmaking is, though, right? It's, it is really, like, even on a small scale or, like, doing music videos, all the small scale stuff I've done, it's, it's always, you're always dealing with that where it's like, oh, you're going to have to build, make something out of, you know, the empty pieces. Like, you're, you're going to have holes and you're going to have to fill them and you're going to have to say, well, yeah, we'll just have them float off into the distance because, well, that was, that's the great thing. Have you ever heard about the Three Stooges thing? So, you know, those Three Stooges shorts where like sometimes they just run, they just kind of go all, all yell and they run off. 
That was because that was Friday afternoon. They had a week to make Three Stooges shorts, and if they ran out of time, they would just end it with them running away, uh, away from the camera. That's amazing. Yeah. I was going to point out that the only good Steven Spielberg film, uh, the rule of how it was made was that's not a problem, that's a solution, and that he would not be heralded as the director he is today if that film hadn't just completely fallen apart on him. All right, Jaws. So what you're saying is like the, the robot shark shark not working, and so they had to... There's a bunch of stuff, yeah, like yeah. people getting drunk and not being able to say their lines, and like <laughs> the, all sorts of like things where the technical issues, Yeah, he basically had to just... And then like there's something about finding John Williams, and too, and like using John Williams as the shark as opposed to the shark itself. And mm. it's like, all the best accidents that could possibly happen. Everybody heralds him for being such a genius, and most of it was just he couldn't make the shitty film that he would have made had that shit all worked. <laughs> He's better at, at fixing mistakes than making... Right, that's why his films are yeah. terrible now that he can do anything he yeah, wants he has, and nobody tells him no. Yeah. Nobody's jumping on this, the anti-Spielberg band. Oh, no, yeah, I I'm, I'm, I'm no fan. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm just glad to have someone else take the heat. Because of course, if he's listening, he's going to remember our careers are over. Yeah, Chris lost. Not and Rick I, rewound. <laughs> who's a big Steven Spielberg fan? I think we, we are fans. We question some of the yeah I choices would, he's made. Actually, one caveat: I have not seen Schindler's List. So the first time I watched Schindler's List, I w- I was okay with it. Then I took a class on how art has reacted to the Holocaust. The, the graduate seminar where we basically tore apart Schindler's List, which I never thought could happen, but it wow. was like, wow. It was like, oh yeah, this is, you know, compared to what some other people, and ha- or it's basically like, I think it's, it's, it's talking about the idea of how do you even make art about something so massive and evil and, you know, devastating. And it's like to reduce it down to a two-hour sort of film in some ways is not... The right approach but then but that, that's basically what the whole class was about is it's just impossible there's just no <laughs> there's no right answer <laughs> right i'd agree with that and well and back to what i was saying about the japanese i think almost you know, or actually that's this being an overstatement but a mass amount of art film anime that's come out of that country since um the world war ii has been about nuclear devastation runaway train is the same thing right it's 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 that you you have these two sides you have the technology and the progress and the confidence that humanity has that all of these this advancement is going to be good but then there's the downside and so yeah japanese culture would have a different perspective about that right (laughs) it's 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 that oh the humanity has developed this scientific concept or you know Atomic energy, right? But it's also this hugely destructive apocalyptic force. So it's it's progress and possible elimination of all progress at the same time. Technology has a downside. <laughs> Runaway train. Technology has a downside. I think that was on the, the poster. How about our questions? Jim, should this film stay lost? Do you think it's a do you think it's a good film? Oh yeah. I mean, well, it's weird. It, it's it's like both. It, it's got it's kind of deep levels and then it's got horrible, like cheesy dialogue and like, like you were saying, like some kind of cringe worthy, like misogynist kind of parts and very dated. And it's not just a dumb action movie. And I like the music too. I have to say, I'm sorry. You know, Ooh. it's like the corny, horrible 80 synth music. But I, I, I said this film was great. I loved it. I yeah. always enjoy watching it. Do I think it's a great film? No, but I think there are plenty of great films that I won't watch again, but I would always watch this again. I think it's fascinating to watch the acting. Yeah. It's 
you're right about the there's deep philosophical stuff going on, right? So it's not simply an action film. It's like, oh, but we're also we're talking about humanity. We're it's a philosophical film. They're talking philosophy as they're beating the crap out of each other, right? And you know the uh, what is it? You're an animal. No worse human. You know those kind of things. And then the yeah the quote at the end that we discussed. It's it's. <laughs> And, and then, yeah, should it, uh, it doesn't matter if you win or lose. And it's like, we're both going to die. And it's like, you know, you're not winning. You didn't win. We're both going to die. That kind of thing. All that stuff. It's, it's deeply philosophical stuff. But yeah, the... Like the office, the scenes in the, uh, the train control room. There's just really dumb stuff. <laughs> Those are the really stand out is like with the, some of the characters in that are just really, you know, just lamely written and just seem like from a very sub standard movie and parts of this movie are great and other parts yeah are like that it's weird it's, it's a and, weird mix and my thought too is so i i really do not like rebecca de mornay in this movie i feel like she like every moment she's on screen it kind of irritates me mm-hmm. but then the more i thought about it and then i started listening to the things she has to say and then i realized okay this is a movie written by men written by a lot of it is written by people who were men who were in prison for most of their life, right? <laughs> and so it's nice that there's an actual woman in the movie, right? Lawrence of Arabia doesn't have any women speaking, right? In what, the did, movie. what did Akira Kurosawa do to go to prison? <laughs> oh, he didn't go to prison. But Japanese, well, you could say Japanese culture is not necessarily, at the time, was not, not that female right. positive, yeah, right? And so, so it's kind of like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, it's just a case of at least they have a woman in the movie, mm-hmm. which maybe was a golan globus kind of thing is like oh yeah you gotta there's gotta be some women in the movie people won't go see a movie without a good looking woman in it well, they right? didn't dollar up though i mean she was no well she she's always a good looking person but i mean yeah. it wasn't she wasn't like in a bikini or no that's true <laughs> and so i think her lines were in fact at one point i'm just like okay that line is crafted for her to represent a point of view that's not what a human being would say in that scenario yeah because she had a little love heart earring I was just like oh she's the hippie she's yeah. the person who's optimistic about humankind while everybody else is being realistic about the situation which is we're all going to die whether we push the button or not we're all going to die so faced with death you know faced with an existential crisis what is our decision will we be a hero will we try and you know save ourselves um, will we try and kill one another just for the fuck of it you know I think that all kind of came out, but the dialogue was very difficult to pull off and it would have taken better actors to do. They didn't, I think it was well-written to the point of the film and I think situationally they did a great job like writing the plot of the film and the scenarios. I just think bad actors had a hard time pulling off hard, hard lines. And so I watched Risky Business again a while ago, which I have to say is, has not aged well at all. I find it's, I like, even like thinking vaguely about the movie, I thought, oh, well, I'll watch it again and it'll be okay. But it seems really, really, I found it almost repulsive. But <laughs> anyways, her in that movie, she's in that movie, like the way she, she acts in her character, it's much, I would say, darker, right? She's the darker character, right? Mm-hmm. Tom Cruise is the, the kind of innocent, and Naive, the, but he has yeah. to do the, he has to do the switch over to be more worldly and everything like that. But then she, she kind of has a soft side too. But I, I think in that film, she's a real actor. I think she's good in this film. Yeah. I think she's, I don't know if she's the wrong person or it's just that she's not good at playing Mooney, happy, like hippie dippy 
things like that. And then I was thinking, well, what other actress at the time could have played that part? I saw that like Karen Allen, who was in Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Yeah. Um, was supposed to be that role. And I was like, uh, she, you know, she's tough in Raiders of the Lost Ark. She could but, have done it. Yeah, but but then I thought, well, but Rebecca De Mornay is tough in Risky Business too, and she so, she does great with bad dialogue in that film. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And and then the hand that rocks the cradle—that's the movie where she's the killer. And I I don't even know if I saw that movie, but she at least you know it's a bad a, it's a yeah, bad movie. It's a bad movie, yeah. but she can play a scary kind or like a deeper, darker kind of like a person with darker. Age. I I feel like if you're a woman who's fallen asleep, works on trains, and has fallen asleep, right? She she was, a, was an employee of the yeah, railroad right. company, right? She mm-hmm. wasn't a stowaway or anything, so it's like, I just feel like there could have been a little more edge to that character as opposed mm-hmm. to this kind of moony, hippie kind of... Yeah, it's just weird. Interestingly enough, in Risky Business, when uh, Tom Cruise and Rebecca DeWarne get on a runaway train, they decide to make love. That's how the, they handle the, the existential crisis there. And then that train, I think, crashes into Sears Tower, something like that. <laughs> I, I can't quite yeah. remember that film. Yeah, the train. That, that reminds me. So it's I the did, same, same music, too. Right, same right, exactly. Tangerine Dream. It's, yeah. it's, so that's the thing. Is like Tangerine Dream was the high-end electronic music you know, for 80s films, whereas then whoever did this music for this, it's, well, it's kind yeah, of... Yeah, it's Trevor Jones, I looked up, who, who did, before this, did Excalibur. Oh, man. Wow. Remember that? Of course yeah. you do. And he did some music in Time Bandits. Dark Crystal, Jim Henson, <laughs> wow. Labyrinth, Jim Henson, you know, David Bowie, and Angel Heart. He did the music. Remember Ooh, Angel wow, Heart? That's wow. Angel Heart, yeah. saw back in the day around Great this soundtrack. time. Yeah. I haven't seen that in 30 years. Yeah, I have to watch that again. See if it's still good. Yeah, he's like a British guy. Mickey Rourke is in that. Angel Heart. Yeah. There's a connection. There you go. Yeah. I connect Eric Roberts and Mickey Rourke together. <laughs> and, well, well, yeah, we were talking about um, Barfly. Barfly. He did the music for Barfly. Mickey. Oh, he, wait, who did? Oh, Mickey Rourke was in Barfly. Was in Barfly. Okay, Barfly. yeah, yeah, That's yeah. yeah. It's the same group of people. <laughs> Some, somewhat Skull, damaged. Colin and Globus production. That's all. That's, that was my connection. Okay, know. sorry. Should Runaway Train be found, Rick? Would you recommend this film to coworkers? Coworkers. Remember that was the Yeah, I know. the question should well, it be found is I don't think it would reflect badly on me like Wicker Man would, but I think I'd still have to choose. I think when I make recommendations for movies, I do make a a judgment call on the person. I'm I'm not just going to make a blanket statement. I think that's that's kind of the general theme of I think that's going to be of this podcast is these are movies that certain people should watch, but I would not recommend them for everyone. I got a couple more questions. Best train movies? How does this rank in terms of train movies? I didn't even think of Risky Business as a train movie, so I don't think Risky <laughs> Business counts as a train movie. So Unstoppable was basically a, a beat-by-beat ripoff of, of this without, they basically cut out the prison stuff and just went right to the train. Uh, it's very entertaining. I actually probably watched that film before I would watch Runaway Train again, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's a better movie. Yeah, I haven't seen Unstoppable. I have to watch that again. We mm-hmm. talked about taking a Pelham 123, so yeah. the original... That's got Walter Matthau. The best part about that is is the people sitting in a control room watching dots move along a map. Yeah. But then you cut to the action of the the train. But there's lots there's lots of similarities with Runaway Train. And so definitely taking a Pelham one two three has the better uh, control room scenes. Other train movies is the Warriors considered a train movie? <laughs> I love the it's Warriors. You just like the Warriors. <laughs> That's like any any top ten list on any category. <laughs> Best New York movie, best movie with uh, 
naked male chests. <laughs> right, yeah, best best best, best movie best. where people are wearing vests. Yeah. Warriors. Best walking movie best. where people are walking. Fifty percent of the movie. <laughs> best you know? movie with guys in clown makeup. <laughs> I've never seen Warriors. Oh, what? Jim. Jim, and it doesn't qualify for this podcast. <laughs> That's almost as bad as only seeing the remake of Taking of Pelham One Two Three. <laughs> Similar <laughs> level here. At least like, uh, yeah, I don't think I've seen The Godfather either. You've never <laughs> seen The Godfather? <laughs> or Godfather 2. I've seen Godfather 3. Yeah. This is the worst part. You realize that that's racist to say that to an Italian, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, yeah. The film that's done more damage to the Italian. Damage? I got a lot of... I don't know. I'll stop There's there. There's sides <laughs> to it, I understand. <laughs> There's a romantic... Yeah, I don't know. I can't think of any other train movie. I, I have no answer to that. I have another one. I wrote it down. I don't, let me go on record. Is I don't know an Italian who is ashamed of The Godfather <laughs> or who is ashamed of what's the Tony the Sopranos? What's that Tony Soprano TV show? <laughs> Silver Streak. That's oh, a train yeah. movie, right? Never yeah. seen it. What? Yeah. Never seen. Silver that seems Street. like the kind of movie you would have seen. I know. And you'd say, <laughs> after the Warriors, Silver Streak. <laughs> I was not a Gene Wilder fan. I don't know why. Wasn't that um, yeah. Gene Wilder and uh, Richard Pryor? Yeah. And Jill Clayburgh? <laughs> <laughs> could she have, she, could she have pulled, pulled off nope. Runaway Train? Nope. No. I don't think so. Snowpiercer? I just was about to say that. <laughs> I had just scratched out my note about Snowpiercer because I was going to bring it up. God damn it. Go ahead. Uh, I thought it was better than this film. Snowpiercer is better than this film, I think. I think Snowpiercer owes a debt to this film. Tremendous debt to this film. But in fact, in a way, it might be like, I'm going to make what Runaway Train could have been is maybe the motivation for Snowpiercer. You haven't seen Snowpiercer yet. Yeah, okay. Kind of like Midsummer and The Wicker Man. Right. I hear that actually Midsummer has a lot of references to Wicker Man in it. But you like Snowpiercer or you don't like I Snowpiercer. I love Snowpiercer. Love Snow- yeah, yeah, does yeah it, okay. It's great. Does it look as cold? See, Runaway Train, it definitely looked cold. And Snowpiercer, they were, yeah. It's got, well, they're inside all the time. So yeah, Runaway Train, definitely. They really filmed a lot of it in Alaska. and That's what I liked about this movie too. It looked... It looked cold. There was a revenant aspect <laughs> to this film where, you know, they're in the water. That's clearly them floating through the snow water. And uh-huh. Yeah, it's before CGI. So yeah. when Even a train it, runs into another train, it's real. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, they did some rear projection yeah. stuff, I think. But they definitely were filming a lot of stuff. People hanging off of trains like were strapped on it. Somebody trains. was standing on top of that train at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> was sitting on the front of the train. Uh-huh. somebody, no, they probably didn't fall through the glass window. That was probably done in the studio yeah. where the one guy falls yeah. Yeah. through right. the window. Yeah, that reminded me of Jaws 3D. There's there's a great obsessive webpage I discovered about just train buffs. This one guy's webpage is out of control. It's like who's, I think, a fan of the, the Alaskan Railway. I can't remember if that's what it's called, but it's where they filmed the company. They The company let them film on their tracks in Alaska. So... This guy is a fan of, or, you know, how railroad, people who are into railroads are really into railroads. Right. And this webpage is, there's part of the webpage is about the filming of, you know, the filming of Runaway Train. And it's all, most of it is all about the trains and which type of train, this is the train, you know, it's like train spotting stuff. It's like, well, this is number so-and-so and this is this type of train and all. And they're like, in this shot, it's a different one. So it's, it's really obsessive. It's a pretty amazing. Kind line. of like what we said is the, the credits for the film. It's like John Voight, right. Eric Roberts. Right. The train, 
and Rebecca De Mornay, right? Yeah, right. the train to them. Yeah. Maybe the train is up <laughs> a little higher top. than yeah. John Voight. Yeah. yeah, it's probably up. Yeah, I can't think of another train movie. I mean, The Wild Bunch. I just recently oh, yeah. saw that with my son. What was I like the uh, you know that Buster Keaton movie he made when he was old? He was just on that <laughs> oh, car, yeah. that yeah, little where he goes across Canada, hand the, car. Yeah, that is actually great. Nineteen sixties. Yeah, and then there's the General, which is. Right. I find problematic. My favorite Buster Keaton movie is Sherlock Jr., but everybody says, oh, the general's amazing, but everybody neglects to talk about how the fact that is he's a Confederate soldier, you know, <laughs> sneaking into Union territory, right? The whole, it's, it's, he's, he's on the wrong side in, in the general. Should this film be rewound? I think the answer is yes, right? We would all watch this film again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Another 15 years. 20 years yeah I it's been it. about the, yeah it's inspired i couldn't remember but at least two lyrics in two different songs in yeah. the band that jim and i are in really I, th I thought so i knew at least one i remember i was like wait didn't because like you yeah we were talking about this we definitely watched this sometime in the 90s after a band practice or something and it became there were a touchstone in the you know sitting in the van somewhere someone would always this one of these quotes would come out and like john voight the one time he tells eric roberts just do what I tell you and don't crap on yourself. That was like... <laughs> it's great advice. Good advice. There's a lot of excrement advice, like wipe that piss off your face. Mm -hmm. Do what I tell you. Top wardens. How about that? That was another list I had. <laughs> oh, like, of course I know who's on the top. Who's that? The, From This is a softball throw to Jim. Patrick McGowan. Yeah. <laughs> in... Uh, the Escape Cl From Alcatraz. Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah. Oh, I don't remember him in that film. He's the warden. He's the warden. He's basically this, yeah, that character, you know, he's the enemy of Clint Eastwood's enemy, you know. But he's like really like fastidious and he has fingernail clippers and it's the fingernail <laughs> clipper is what Clint Eastwood uses to get out of Alcatraz. I like that Mar <laughs> when Martha Stewart went to prison, I'm pretty sure this is true. She like found the toughest woman there and was just like, I will pay you an enormous amount of money. You just make sure nothing happens to me. <laughs> I thought you were going to say she found the largest woman in... Shoved, her. Shoved, a, shoved a, a rabbit cake, cake shaped like a rabbit up her nose. Who do you most relate to, Manny, Buck, or Sarah? Jim? Those are the only three choices. Those are your three choices. Or the warden. The warden, yeah. I can't choose the train. But the train. Those are your four, like five choices, if I could count. Five? Five, five choices. <laughs> you really stumped him with this one. It's, you know, like, who... Ask the question again. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you most relate to? Who do I most relate to? Manny, Buck, Sarah, the Warden, or the Train? <laughs> I guess, you know, I'd have to say, I'd like to say Manny, but I'd probably just say Buck. I think you're a Buck. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty naive. <laughs> I, I, I think you're the Train. You want to know why? <laughs> Because, and I mean this is all sincerity, you're a magical creature. <laughs> At least you have been in my life. You're pretty quiet, but strong. You know, ominous, but quiet. And then you do things that make us all think. You sort of very quietly sort of stir the the thought process of a room without having to be overbearing. Well, I'm, I'm blushing now. <laughs> Can a train blush? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's now my, you're not the train. It's my favorite Dave per Perner lyric. Can a train blush? Yeah, we never even talked about the fact that like almost every Soul Asylum record has a song about trains. I was going to say, there's a Soul Asylum song about a train, right? There's tons uh, of songs wait, wait, about trains. Not, not, no, not just. I'm thinking about, train. there is one on the only Soul Asylum record, Maybe Be Broken. 
I think there's a train song on every Tied record. to the tracks. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of my favorite soul sound songs. Rick, what, what are you? Manny, I Buck, think, Sarah. Unfortunately, I'm a Manny. And it was weird. I was on vacation for three weeks and then I came back and met with my students and I almost instantly was talking about apocalyptic sort of like very um, nihilistic kind of outlook on things. It was weird. I don't know what, what motivates me to do that. I don't think, I don't think I'm pessimistic or cynical, but when I hear myself talking, sometimes I realize that maybe I am. (laughs) I think you're cynical. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have the scars. I don't have the scars, at least not externally. Externally. Yeah. No, I think, I think Manny's a good fit. I I think, (laughs) I think I'm a Sarah. I think that my optimism sometimes makes me seem a little dumber than I really am. (laughs) If that makes any sense. I think that part of why we, we think less of Sarah in the movie is because she's an optimist, oddly enough. At least Hmm. that was an observation I made. I'm trying less and less to pay attention to actors outside of their films. It's just like I stopped listening to sports radio. It's like, I like the beauty of the games. I don't want to hear assholes, you know, pontificate about them for hours. Mm-hmm. Just watch the games. Just do your job. Just act. I don't want to hear what your politics are. No, they can, you know, I'm just saying, I just, they can do whatever they want. I just want to watch them in films because I don't want to get wrapped up in the drama of who they are right. off the screen. Mm-hmm. I want to let them have their own personal lives. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because, uh, yeah, because if then you get wrapped up in their personal lives, then it ruins, it ruins. I mean, like, I don't want to know about Walter Hill's personal life. I just want to watch the Warriors. <laughs> you know what I mean? Can we, can we all agree on that? Yeah. Lost and Found and Rewound is fully funded by Lost and Found and Rewound Foundation Funds. Lost and Found and Rewound does not use crowdfunding because our listeners have better things to do with their funding. There's no need to post reviews of Lost and Found and Rewound because our listeners have more valuable things to do with their time. In all sincerity, thank you for listening to the show. We truly appreciate it.